0: What do you know about that, man?
1: <laughs> that was pretty fun. <laughs>
2: that's how it was last year and that's how it is this year. Every time I've gone, I catch them. And I don't just catch one. It's not like you get one bite and you, you better catch it. It's like you catch multiple fish and you're, you're going to miss some too. Which to me is crazy mm-hmm. to think that the water is two degrees above freezing mm-hmm. and that you, there's still, you can get them to bite like that
1: all right let's get the podcast going all right i'm chase winiger host of the podcast we've got lee mcclellan co-host how is everyone and today's guest jeff roberts glad to be here jeff i'm gonna roll right into what you were just talking about but first i'll tell you that last friday <clears throat> excuse me lee and myself were getting ready to do a podcast and i was sitting here thinking like because i wanted to do one but i was mm-hmm. kind of scratching my head over what should we talk about because all I've had are unsuccessful coyote hunts recently, and that's not that exciting. I went but, on a squirrel hunt and didn't shoot one, so
0: that's not that exciting. But the other people did, so that was good.
1: Well, then I was scrolling through the old Instagram, and I see Jeff Roberts there holding creek smallies. Mm-hmm. Creek smallies and maybe a spot or a largemouth. Largemouth, yeah. So I see... here's a nice one. Yeah. And I say, here's somebody who's out there in the cold right now doing something that most people want to do in the summer months. So I was like, you know what, Lee, we'll get Jeff in here, and we'll mm-hmm. talk about that, and we'll talk about a number of other things. But that's what you were just talking about before we got going with the podcast, was that creek fishing, right? Mm-hmm. And so I guess my question to you is, well, is there anything in particular you're looking for? I know you're creek fishing on Elkhorn, but this isn't Elkhorn specific. I mean, you can go to Green River, or Floyd's Fork, or mm-hmm. Silver Creek, or Otter Creek. You can go anywhere. But well, is I miss there, Silver
2: Creek. I it, love Silver
1: Creek. Is there any certain... Like technique or what you're looking for with the water, anything like that?
2: Uh, Yes. So, and and I'll I'll lead off by saying I have not always been a wintertime stream fisherman. Mm -hmm. Uh, This started for me last winter. Yeah. When I just I like to try to catch a bass in every month Mm -hmm. of the year. I've got a friend of mine
0: once. And and I'm
2: usually able to do it, but I will go ahead and say that some years I've had to cheat a little bit and go to Texas or somewhere out Mm -hmm. of state and catch one. And, uh, but last year I didn't take any out of state trips and I thought, well, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to catch, uh, you know, black bass in January and February this year? And I do fish Elkhorn all the time. I fish it all summer, um, wading and floating, but honestly, I like to wait it even more so than I like to float it. To me, mm-hmm. it's just easier to wade. a new
0: sling pack for wading. <laughs>
2: and and there was just this one particular area that I thought, you know, if they're, if there's a spot where they're going to hang out in the wintertime a wintering hole it's going to be right here so why and, why right there but just because it's deeper deeper and uh you know i think that per- this particular hole uh if, if you were to look at it um also has a current break mm-hmm. um, i think that it, it just allow it's it, one it's deeper it's going to provide those fish with uh, warmer water and yeah. more protection in a deeper hole, but it also has a little bit of a current break associated with it. So, so they can use less energy. So they can use less energy when when it's all you know when it's cold. They're cold-blooded animals. Yeah. Um, they don't want to be working any harder than they have to in the winter time when it's mm-hmm. that cold. Um, and so just kind of on a whim last year, uh, went out there and um, piddled around a little bit and ended up catching a few. And I thought, well, that was well, that was neat. I wonder mm-hmm. if I could duplicate it and not, you know, you probably saw um, posts from last winter, I I was able to catch them pretty consistently, pretty much every time I went. Good fish. And not, yeah, Mm -hmm. not, there there were some, there were some little ones mixed in, but, um, and and I think that's kind of a theme with winter fishing in general. You go to a lake, you may not catch a lot of fish, but. It's going to be a good one. When you catch them, they're going to be better fish. Yeah, I I caught, uh, you know, I don't take a scale with me, but I I feel like
1: uh, I'm a pretty good uh i just judge by your hand you know i'm I, I don't care as much about weight for a stream fish as i do exactly length. You know,
2: yeah, exactly and okay nor nor am i taking a i'm not i don't have a board with me yeah. but a lot of the fish i caught last year were you know 15 to 17 with some longer than that i mean i, I had a lot lar- i during that time period last year i caught the biggest uh elk horn largemouth i've ever caught ever. And I, yeah, I've been fishing over in Creek for probably eight years. And again, I didn't have a scale, but it was easily over three pounds. I mean, like without question. Um, and so caught them there. And then, uh, this winter was the same, it was kind of the same thing. Like, can I, can I duplicate that? Can I replicate that in any way? Mm-hmm. Even if it would, it was a fraction of what I was able to do last year. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the first time I went this year, I mean, it was, just, it, was it was, almost funny. It was the same thing. Just was immediately, some? immediately started catching them. And I've been three or four times and caught, a handful again it's not just you get one bite so you better hope you catch it it's multiple bites multiple fish and good quality and so, so but
1: go ahead oh i was gonna ask is was, was there snow on the ground in one of those p- pictures because I, I saw your pictures right definitely and, from last year there was well it just looked beautiful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and there's something you know how in the winter the water kind of gets that turquoise color yeah yes. i call it the
0: dead green look it's it, winter it, look. It's yeah. beautiful though yeah it
1: is so i mean some it's like one of the you know you go out and fishing in the spring or the summer and you're looking around everything's green or or you know the blooms are coming on it's beautiful but i mean it's it's pretty awesome out there this time of year too. You can see more, t- and then you also have a bit more privacy. I know that you told me there's some other people going fishing, but I mean, I just feel like there's something beautiful about the winter too. Yeah, it, it's
2: more often than not you're not going to have to fight for spots to fish. Yeah. Or for, you know, a lot of times you're going to be the only person out there. It's no different than any other um, that's why outdoor I love activity. I love winter and winter and you know, I think that yeah, that to me that's a huge um, benefit of doing it in the wintertime is that there's not gonna be quite as many. I, mean, I You can't guarantee you're gonna be the only person because I have actually, uh, in this general area, I haven't been alone sometimes. There have been other people out there fishing. But for the most part, you're, especially on Elkhorn Creek, as, mm-hmm. as uh, pressured and crowded as it can be in the summertime, when you still catch them, mm-hmm. granted, but it's it's kinda nice to be out there. and. And it be a little more peaceful, a little more calm, mm-hmm. not, not, so, not so many noises and splashes and distractions
1: uh, around you. you no, know, I will say there's something about it. Like, when you, like sometimes when I'm at the Ohio River, if I paddle across to the lower dam, and you know, my hope is I got the place all to myself, and when I get over there, somebody else has, has paddled over there and they're already there. You know, it's kind of like you tip your hat to him, and it's mm-hmm. like, man, you know, you're out here doing it. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, and that was out. my same thought too.
2: It was like, well, hey, you know, he he, if he's he, willing he to how can here. I knock him for, for you yeah. know for doing what I'm I'm yeah. out here doing? Well, I, you know, I, I, I agree. You kind of have to.
1: Somebody else toughen it out a little bit. You gotta have a little bit of respect for somebody who's willing to go out there in weather. I mean, like last uh, week when you were out there fishing, it was 20, it never got above freezing. Yeah, 25 degrees or so in the mm-hmm. afternoons. And
2: when you told me, and I'll, I'll go ahead and say too, I have not been. Looking, at the, Looking at the water temperature and I had been curious and when you told me what it was on Friday I, I mean that's yeah. that has to be the coldest water temperature I've ever caught fish out of I mean It has to be
1: mm-hmm. I've caught it I mean we've ice fished before but if you're talking about moving water I mean mm-hmm. 33 is about as cold as it gets <laughs> you mm-hmm. know it's pretty much So um so my question you just made a comment a second ago I and you know I catch bass in the winter sometimes in farm ponds And my technique is always big baits and going slow you know, I like big soft plastics and things like that because my thought is that these fish, their metabolism is gonna have dropped. They're trying to conserve energy and if they're gonna be willing to bite something, it's probably gonna be an easy meal that's worth their time. So I'm thinking big meals that are slow moving and easy to catch. Mm-hmm. So are you is that kind of the same philosophy you're using, or what are you fit like how are you fishing? I agree with that. I think that
2: um, slow is absolutely the the way to go in the winter time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. with I, I'm not going to sit here and say that you could never. I mean, never say never. I'm, you could maybe throw a moving bait in some of these wintering holes, and on the right day, maybe y- y- you get some. Mm-hmm. Uh, you get a reaction, but I'm fishing very slow. Yeah, uh, I'm not throwing a really big offering. I'm not throwing a really. A well, really in a creek, that's
1: bait. a little bit unnatural.
2: Yeah, but, I, you no. know, certainly there are large crayfish in Elkhorn. I mean, I've seen them. I remember mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people that have ever gone wading in Elkhorn I mean sooner or later you're going to run into mm-hmm. some pretty sizable crayfish in there uh, but what I'm what I'm throwing is probably two two inches or less mm-hmm. probably less so I'm, I'm throwing a really really small um, lure but again I Big fish are certainly yeah. uh, picking it up, so dragging,
1: uh, kind of dragging the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah that makes I'm
2: sense. staying in contact with the bottom the, the whole time.
1: time. And those fish probably want to be sitting on the bottom. I doubt they're suspended right now. Lee, would you know anything about that?
0: Well, you know, in that moving water, what they're doing is, and I would say, like Friday, one of the things I found is, and I've been fishing Elkhorn since 1985. Was the first time I fished, but uh, and I loved February. I've always been a late February guy, because if the water temperature jumps up just, we get a little warm front and it jumps up two degrees, it'll turn those bigger fish on as to where, you know, today is 34 and a half. The the biologists have told me before, when it gets super cold, they'll go into almost a torpor, which is almost a hibernation. But when you caught them, Jeff, uh, it got up to 42 degrees late night after the water temperature did. If you go to the USGS site, it has parameters at the top, it'll show you the the flow and it'll show you the height but there's a parameter you can click on and hit go and that shows you the water temperature
1: so there's about four degrees fluctuation mm -hmm. in the water temperature i'm looking at the gauge right here on usgs and like just yesterday there was a four degree fluctuation the Mm -hmm. day before that there was a five degree fluctuation Mm -hmm. and last uh friday the day that jeff was talking about it looked like it did get up a little bit warmer but it started off at 37 that day or something like that so I mean, a little bit cool, but you're telling me just the smallest little change in water temperature that the we couldn't even feel. Yeah, can yeah. turn them on. Because, like, Jeff especially said.
0: big females as we get more into February, they got to start eating for the egg development yeah. that's going to come mm-hmm. in six weeks afterward.
2: And I will say, um, we're obviously earlier than that right now, mm-hmm. but yeah. these, the condition of the, these fish, and it, it, it's usually the case in the wintertime too. These these fish are in excellent body condition. Yeah, they look. I like mean, it. they are. You're not catching a lot of of, of thin fish right now Mm -hmm. um and uh, getting back to their positioning as far as where they are on the water column i I think that this time of year um i could be wrong and sure you're always going to have some fish kind of doing doing their own thing but i'd say most of them are going to be positioned close to the bottom and and it doesn't take much in a stream to be on the bottom and have just a just a large rock in front of you that that gives you even more of a current break Mm -hmm. uh I I don't know what it looks like on the bottom here because this is an area that, that that's always a hole in other words it's it's not it's not an area that in the middle of the summertime when the flow is low that I I know I exactly it. what it looks like. I don't know
1: exactly what it looks that's like probably here. probably those fish are there right
2: now. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and I think that chances are especially the largemouth I think the largemouth that are there right now probably remain there to to an extent mm-hmm. through the summer because at least in my experience most of the largemouth I catch on Elkhorn are almost always in a hole mm-hmm. or, or an, a, an undercut bank, or where there's a lot, where you've got a lot of sycamore trees. Two years and, ago, can... I caught
0: a beauty in, in a hole that I've caught them before, and it was mm-hmm. one of the better largemouths I've caught. Mm-hmm. It's the only fish I caught all day. Yeah. It was a rough day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but. uh Did not catch a smallmouth.
2: I, I think that, see, because what I'm catching is a mixture of both. Mm-hmm. No spotted bass. You know, I, I catch some spots here and there on elk or not many, but th- thus far, I've not caught any spots out of this hole. It's all uh, largemouth and smallmouth. Huh. That's so, I know. You think caught. if
1: you were catching both of those, you'd catch spots too. No doubt.
2: You would think, and I would have thought that was my guess last year. Because every time I went, I thought. Surely this will be the time I finally catch a spotted bass yeah. out
1: of here. I, I never have, so far, the only, I have not caught any. Doesn't it kind of seem to you guys like the spotted bass is almost the way they act, almost like a mix between a smallmouth and a mm-hmm. and a largemouth? Like if I'm catching just smallmouth in a spot, I might pick up a spot or two. If I'm catching largemouth in a spot but no smallmouth, I might pick up a spot or two. The smallmouth seem to, or the spots seem to like kind of merge. They do. You know, if you're catching, if so, if you were catching largemouth and smallmouth, I would think that the spots. They would, would be, be there. in there. I've, you know, and what? they may be. Yeah. Um,
2: but still, with with how they behave, Are they and including of- in cold water, I would I would have thought
1: for sure I would have caught one by now. Right? Are they more of a traditionally a southern fish? Lee? Yes, and
0: and they kind of the reason they kind of like water that's not quite good for flowing water that's not quite good for too fast for largemouth, but sometimes too slow for smallmouth. So. Yeah. They have a very niche in the stream and, and there's sections of North Elkhorn where I've caught a bunch, especially in those impounded sections up by Georgetown. Yeah. But in the main stem, you know, I fished that for a long time and I've not caught very many spots in the main stem.
2: I've only caught a few. One of the ones was memorable because it was really big, mm-hmm. but it was out of a hole, um, uh, one of the holes uh, behind the hatchery yeah. actually uh, in September. I remember it was a memorable catch because it was... Um, it was a, ni- a really nice spotted bass. Real beautiful, too. I, I love spotted bass. I love catching spotted oh, bass. Me, too. In uh, lakes. Green River Lake. Uh, Spots you know, are cool. Got some Cumberland. nice ones in Cumberland. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they eat fantastic. I mean, I know... If you don't want to keep a black bass, but if you ever wanted to keep one, put the largemouth smallmouth away because a spot tastes wonderful. I've always I've heard, heard that. Never I,
1: had one, but I've always heard that. I've heard people say really good things. Tim Farmer, he went down to Alabama maybe mm-hmm. and caught a bunch of spots last year. Yeah, and he did. He just said that those things were delicious. Yeah, they are. They're really good. I'm not big into eating bass. I mean I have nothing against it. I remember when I was a kid, my dad used to break the flat and he Oh granddad, time. if you
0: caught a legal bass of any stripe,
2: <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: stringer, home
2: down the gut yeah we used, to, we used to clean a lot of fish w- that we caught when i was younger too uh, including bass but honestly even back then i always thought the crappie and bluegill tasted better Oh, i'm not saying that bass didn't taste good but compared to bluegill and crappie i just i didn't even think it was a close yeah, comparison oh i agree
1: i've gone through this before but the bluegill and crappie obviously really good Reddy or any of those panfish and then the the um, perch species. I so, yellow perch is my favorite. Species. Well, I, but I never have caught a yellow perch. I know we got them in a few different lakes Kentucky here. Kentucky
0: Lake, but it, it's hard and to pattern. And what, what, Woods Creek Lake? Randomly.
1: Yeah. Lin- Linville yeah. So. has them as well. Or Lin- right. Yeah, a yeah, couple of those Johnny lakes Johnny Appleseed did what's, that. Uh, what's <laughs> that lake in Lexington, that private lake across from Jacobson Park? Ellerslie. Oh, that's That lake one's Ellerslie. got yellow perch too.
0: Yeah, a friend of mine's a member there, and he has not invited me. We well, yeah, i might have to work on that. No doubt, I'm gonna have to bust. Just
2: tell spot. him that that's all you're gonna do is fish for the perch. <laughs> yeah, <can't. laughs> uh, but the, it's a waiting list to get on there. I've, to that I've heard. i It's. It's
1: a. Uh, <laughs> legendary body of water. Mm-hmm. At least. Uh, at least as far as I years. see pictures off that lake, sometimes that are pretty interesting.
0: I believe there's walleye in there too walla mm-hmm. somebody it's, told me there's some walleye in there that's <laughs>
1: bizarre know. Yeah. well you uh, hey uh, you never know what's happening in those city lakes
0: oh no they'd be like hey we can get
1: some okay yeah because oh, yeah. it's those lakes like just
2: like just like
1: oscars just like linville like we talk about linville lake sometimes you know just south of madison county just mm-hmm. south of berea you see it from 75 there and that that lake has I think spoonbill in it. It has uh, hybrids. It has mean mouse. It has
0: mean mouse. We've got. a We ran a picture in the magazine of a six-pound mean mouse from Limble.
1: Yellow perch. It's just like it has the strangest combination there many, of fish. Any forage left in it? I know. Well, <laughs> you
0: know, they, uh,
1: I've heard um,
0: they've put northern pike in Laurel. Somebody told me they may. Like Linville or one of them had, a, had Northern Pike. Hmm. Johnny say, Appleseed put Northern Pike in Laurel.
1: When you say they, it's not uh, the Department of Fish and no, Wildlife. It's, it's Johnny Appleseed. But that's why those city lakes are so strange because the city, you know, it's not managed by the Department of Fish and Wildlife at all. It's managed by the city. So somebody, you know, gets a wild hare and decides they want to throw some whatever in the lake they'll just toss them in there and there's you know makes for some interesting opportunities i'm not sure about the ecosystem no, <laughs> all no. the right. yeah. i used
0: to fish linville all the time at eastern because it wasn't that far away
1: that's one i really kicked myself for not fishing more when i was there was uh linville i wish i would have ventured that way a little bit more often
0: my favorite lake was Osley Fork Reservoir. Did you ever fish it out by Berea? Yeah,
1: yep, I did. Osley Fork, crystal clear, no motors allowed, kayak only. Mm-hmm. Um, you could see down to the bottom pretty much the whole way through. I remember bald eagles circling around and flying around while we were out there fishing. It's a tough
0: lake, it downsize everything. Fish like line. I, I think ah, it was because, because it's
1: so clear. Yeah. You know, it's tough, but it's beautiful. On the winter fishing creeks, in summary, you know, we, we talked about Elkhorn. That's where you've been going. And I mean, why not go to Elkhorn? You you live here in Frankfurt. You work in Frankfurt. You got Elkhorn pretty much in your backyard. Yep.
2: Yeah, I've always said that that's probably my favorite thing about living in Frankfurt is literally Elkhorn Creek. That was my uh, favorite thing when, so, I, when I lived
1: here. That was my uh, favorite. You
2: know, all summer long. I mean, I can't tell you the, the number of days I get off yeah. uh, from Salado and then I just drive straight to the creek, fish till dark. And yeah. I
1: say, hey, yeah. I probably should have mentioned that you work here at the department. For I didn't enter. Usually, I say, "What's your job title?" We've had Jeff on before. It's been a long time, but you're a conservation educator at Salado.
2: Yeah, that's right. And I'm sure we'll at some point. I'm sure we'll we'll uh, come circle back to Salado. But yeah, to kind of summarize what we've been talking about, I'm doing this and finding success at Elkhorn Creek. I think that if you have a any stream or small river, I think that. You know, this is very. Um, this is something that a lot of folks can can find. It may mm-hmm. take some effort, and it may take. In some places, it might take some private access. Um, everything I'm fishing is public access, uh, but it, you know, I can't speak to every single stream and and creek and river out there. Uh, but I think if you can find an area where you've got a concentration of fish, uh, in this case, we're talking about bass. Mm-hmm. Uh, where they have they have all the conditions that we described they have the conditions that they need in order to kind of ride out the winter i think if you can find an area like that Mm -hmm. uh, there's fish there you may have to experiment a little bit you may have to catch the right day Mm. some you 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 may have to kind of hit it right if you want to think of it that way but i think you can you can catch fish in January and February, you can catch fish like I am when the when the water temperature is literally in the 30s. Yeah. You can still catch fish. I think a lot of times, uh, people, you know, and I get it. I don't like being cold either. I mean, I really don't. My my hands get cold, my feet get cold, my ears get you know. It's but when you're you know when you're doing something you love doing and and not only you know you're you're finding success, it's it's a lot you know easier to not focus on how miserable you are if you're catching fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a lot easier when you're in the days where you don't even get a bite. All you have all the time in the world to think about how cold you are. Wow. But, uh, you know, I think that if you if you can find an area and you can, you can find some success, there are plenty of fish to be caught year round and all through the winter. A lot of people want to kind of put the rods and reels up, put the baits up, and, and they don't, for them, they don't even, I mean, they, they get cabin fever sometime in, you know, February or, or maybe even March. To me, I feel like I'm always thinking about how can I catch fish? Can, can I catch fish right now? Uh, where could I go to catch fish? And um, I'm I'm thrilled. I found a way to do it without even taking the boat out. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just I'm just going uh, to a spot, standing on the bank, and you know I'm able to able to catch a few.
1: So we said deeper water close by. I think that's important because, like you said, that does give you more warmth. So, mm-hmm. the deeper down, I mean, From obviously. Current
0: break. You well, if you have some nice boulders in there, it helps. Cur-
1: current break. I wonder if the makeup of the bottom is important. Because you yeah, these is. these fish are obviously wanting to feed, so you don't want just a silt mud bottom. No, and, then, and I can tell enough just
2: by what I'm feeling that it, it's it's a hard, rocky bottom. Yeah. You know, this is, yeah, I, I, that's, a, that's a good point, too. I think if you, just because you have deeper water doesn't mean that it's going to necessarily be a good hole. Well,
1: sometimes those deeper water holes are the silty
2: mud Mm -hmm. bottom you know yeah there are a lot of areas where where that's the bottom composition yeah i'm not saying you can't catch fish there and that there's not fish there but i think it's even better if you've got a hard rocky bottom food sources
1: food source is going to be better around that rock maybe not like a slate rock but if you got like a chunk rock something where you might get some helgrammites or or crawfish Mm -hmm. or something like that holding up under that's probably the spot to be snails and things like that
0: how heavy a weight were you throwing
1: i've been throwing a one-tenth ounce wow so light it's lighter than I would go.
2: That's what I've been throwing.
1: Especially since you've been, so your, are you picking that up off the bottom, not just dragging bottom? You're letting it bounce a little? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, huh. And it kind of
2: depends, you, you know, you, you kind of experiment with different ways. of. If I'm, of course, if I'm casting, if I'm standing upstream and I cast it, to pull it back, of course, I keep my rod because with that light of weight, it's it wouldn't be hard at all to pick it up where you're not even making contact. Mm-hmm. Even a little bit of current can pull something yeah. that lightweight up. So I'll I'll lower my rod really really low and pull it really slow to where I'm I'm making sure that I'm dragging it along and, and they'll pick it up sometimes like that. But if I'm standing down and casting up, up mm-hmm. then I, I I'm I, I'm kind of bouncing it along, but I'm not in the summertime. I'll, I mean I'll bounce lures way up off the bottom, and you know, of course, they'll eat it on the fall a lot of times. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's not what I'm doing this time of year. I'm just kind of um, working it sometimes like a shaky head, just, mm-hmm. just slightly, just kind of shaking it and, and bouncing it along.
1: That's what I was wondering if that because the one tenth ounce that's light, so that's going to give you a really slow fall. So I was wondering if it might if that speed of the fall might have something to do with it, you know, especially with the more.
2: It could be, but I will say I'm I'm not getting a lot of ones where I make a cast and and there's one on there yeah Uh, whereas you know a lot of times in the summer that's how it is Mm -hmm. and whether they got it on the fall or they I mean it sank and they immediately grabbed it that doesn't seem to be the case this time of year Mm -hmm. I usually I'm kind of working it for a little bit and then one will pick it up And, and if I could give somebody to me the best advice that that I've learned through trial and error and sometimes you learn it the hard way is I of course I'm throwing I mean something that light obviously I'm throwing a mine is a medium action but it, but it's it's really more like a medium light um, i throwing a spinning rod and reel obviously mm-hmm. and what I would recommend is when, when you have a fish pick it up just give it a second even even with such a small presentation it doesn't you. Sh- give them a second and I I really let them start swimming with it and let my rod load up before uh because you're going to miss a lot of fish Mm -hmm. I I think it's so cold I think a lot of them just they they literally just pick it up and may not have the hook inside their Mm -hmm. mouth yet
0: I've Um, had that
2: happen a lot yeah and you can have that happen of course any time of year but I think that's probably going to happen a lot more when they're cold and they're kind of maybe they're on the fence about it but you know they pick it up they you know they I don't know. Maybe the lure. You know, all different lures have different scents, and you know, maybe they pick it up and they decide, okay, and they, they go ahead and suck it in the rest of the way. But I, I, that would be my biggest advice to anybody that was going to go try this, because it, you know it is winter. Let's face it. You may not get a ton of bites, so you want mm-hmm. you want to capitalize on the bites mm-hmm. you get. I I make sure they are they are on there and they're moving with it before I
1: before I set the hook. It's one of the biggest heartbreakers ever. Is when you get the bite. And you let them run with it, and you can see your line going sideways, and the line gets tied on its own, and then you set the hook, and there's still nothing there. Right. Mm-hmm. That kills me. <laughs> you know? and, and it's, it it's going to, yeah, it you know, happens. It does. You
2: know, not every fish is going to you know, commit so, to it. But.
1: So I was just sitting here thinking about all the different places you could go fishing right now using the same kind of technique that you're talking about. Right, and there's obviously Elkhorn, Floyd's Fork, Carter Creek, Silver Creek, like we mentioned. There's a, a Salt River. But one place I think would be really good to try would be Green River. Because mm-hmm. there you got the smallies and the spots and the largemouth, everything. And that you got
0: big, fat water, too.
1: And you got mm-hmm. walleye, mm-hmm. who are going to be a, traditionally a cold-water species anyway. So maybe they would be more active, you know, in the same exact pockets that you'd be catching. I mean, I feel like Elkhorn's a great place, and there's a lot of great places you could go do this, but Green River might be one that is a little bit extra enticing just with the wall out of there. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I, I think that uh, to me when thinking about that would be access is going to be the to, you know, right off the bat, okay, access. Yeah. Uh, Green Green but Urters if some if nice. it's somebody that has access and especially that access puts you right down there at what is the uh Makings of a, what, what could be a wintering hole. Mm-hmm. I don't see any reason in the world why you couldn't catch fish yeah, this time Access year,
1: is right? tougher on green than it is on Elkhorn. You're right Elkhorn is 19 miles is the main stretch rightly And along that 19 miles you can't go two, two two and a half miles without finding public access mm-hmm. You know and on Green River. That's not really the case. Yeah, you're going to float it I right. mean th- sometimes it might be 10 or 14 miles between All public right. access on the green So it's a little bit tougher there. You know, I was just sitting here thinking if we're going to tell people to go out there and try fishing in the winter, we should probably tell them how not to die while they're out there doing mm-hmm. it, right? I mean, it is kind. Of, I mean, you're obviously fishing fairly close to your truck. You're not ever a mile away or an hour away from a vehicle, right? And and if I were,
2: and I will say too that I'm fish. I'm not getting in the water right now. Yeah, that's probably a good. Bet. Um. Yeah, it's. I'm not saying you know. I guess I'm not going to sit here and say don't ever do that, but I'm not getting in the water right now. And if I was fishing any terrain that was any more uh, potentially treacherous than what i'm fishing i would be wearing a, a life jacket yeah um i think that this time of year especially you know we just talked about how cold the water is last thing you want to do is go in yeah. last thing you want to do while on the bank is to to go in and, and yeah. hit your head or anything like that well, so
1: it can be tough. your muscles so, i mean get tight quick Mm-hmm. i mean cold water 33 degree water is not like 33 degree air mm-hmm. i could walk outside you know with hardly anything on 33 degrees outside and probably be 15 20 minutes before i really felt like i needed to go back inside i got a feeling if i went in 33 degree water it'd be a matter of seconds before mm-hmm. i was like oh i need to get be here. a
2: different story and I, I think that's a good point I, I think it's a good idea you know uh, this time of year if you're going to go somewhere and 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 fish even from the bank let somebody know where you're going yeah that's just good. tell whether you know your significant other your spouse whoever a friend doesn't matter just tell them what you're doing where you're going maybe generally where you'll be and uh, I think that that's always a good idea for for, for doing outdoor things especially yeah. an outdoor activity right next to water this time of year I yeah, think that's, that's especially
1: one good of the area. main things I mean if you're talking about creek fishing this time of year that's not a whole lot different than when we talk about waterfowl mm-hmm. hunting this time of year I mean, you're dealing with the same conditions, and you're dealing with water being close by. And uh, I mean, uh, waterfowl, um, especially on the water, like uh, fishing the Ohio River, is especially dangerous this time of year. And I feel like you know accidents happen, and we read some stories every year about waterfowl hunters who go in. And there was actually an older gentleman in Kentucky, either this year or last year, who it was a creek just like Elkhorn. Um, they got him. So I mean, ultimately, mm-hmm. your body's not going to work as well in cold water like that. So,
0: well. I, another thing I think is vitally important is a waiting staff. I know you probably, if you're not getting in the water, you probably don't need it as much. But me, if you, if you start skiing on mud or anything, having that third, it'll save it me mm-hmm. from falling so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, and, and when I'm waiting and if I'm getting in, I've got my PFD on this Mm -hmm. time of year. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'll wear waders. I'll get out knee deep and stuff. Absolutely. But then my feet will be like, hey.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He went toasty toes. (laughs) And and I would be and everything on it. I would be if I were getting in. Absolutely. I would be. But I, so far, I, I haven't gotten in
1: and and uh, knock on wood, I
2: haven't had the need to,
1: to actually get in. I've been able to catch them just kind of. You just wait till you go back down there and, and hook into that four-pound smallie, and you're going to have to go in to
2: get them. That'd be all right. The landing, <laughs> a couple yeah. of these spots, landing big fish is interest, does get interesting. Yeah, I could say so. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's one area where I literally have to, if it's big and, I, and I'm not comfortable swinging it up, um, I have to like, get down and basically sit down on a big root, uh mm-hmm. you know the base of some roots of a tree and i'm able to sit there and then i gotta you know mm-hmm. reach down and so yeah it, it gets interesting with the bigger fish but so far um and now i say this next time i go i'll, I'll you know I'll tell you about how i had i got my heart broken by the biggest biggest one ever but so far i haven't had any heartbreak yet yeah but you know you do it long enough it's bound to happen what what pound test line yeah, that's i, was I use ask. anywhere between six and eight you yeah. use a monophora.
1: Floor, floor. Yeah, I was straight. just sitting here thinking Lee I, while you were talking about that I was thinking about the line because me and Lee kind of have an ongoing conversation about what kind of fishing line we like mm-hmm. and I'm a big fan of braid but I, mean, I was sitting here thinking to myself I wonder if braid would put you at a disadvantage right now because braid actually holds moisture within itself whereas fluoro and mono or or a, a solid line so they don't i mean they, the exterior of them might get wet and you might freeze up on you but braid i could see that line itself actually freezing does that mm-hmm. make sense at all
2: yeah i use braid backing but i have right now i have i have such a long enough amount of fluorocarbon on there i'm never getting down to the braid yeah. right now i just didn't and know of it. course what i'm doing i'm not making super long casts right now yeah
1: well with down there you know it might have been 19 degrees one day last week, right? And yeah, I could yeah. I could see wet braid freezing up on the spool mm-hmm. or on the rod if you just give it 30 seconds to let your bait sink or get to where it wants, and then giving you real problems.
2: Right, and I'm definitely popping ice out of the eyes. of I was gonna say, where, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes you can just, of course, you can just dip it in real quick. Other times, I'm I'm having to literally crunch it out of my out of my eyes, so it's uh, a, I like that. It's, I do too. Yeah, that's when you know it's cold. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I, I always like that when we'd be down there on Dell Hollow fishing, and you'd have to every oh, other. I've
0: done it a thousand. Every times. other cast, mm-hmm. dip your rod, and the I've water. done on Elkhorn. You know, I've tried, and I think when you say the bottom is the place to be, when the float and fly first hit, I, we tried it, and I caught a, I think a, maybe one bluegill, and a, one very tiny largemouth, but I never caught a smallmouth fishing suspended. Where but, was, you did it. On oh, Elkhorn. Oh, elk yeah, lower lower Elkhorn okay. with my floating fly rod, four pound line mm-hmm. on that. And I was running to like five and a half, six feet deep. And then we just go through. Mm-hmm. And then I went back a couple of weeks later and threw a hair jig in the same hole and caught fish. And caught them. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
0: I, I still love to throw a eighth ounce hair jig in winter too. I don't know.
2: Oh yeah. That, I, I think that you could, I think you could do multiple things, um, whether it's specific to where I'm at or, or any of these mm-hmm. streams that we've listed. I think the there are multiple presentations and techniques that would work, but it's kind of one of those things where mine is so simple that as long as it's working, yeah, I've, just, I've just, I haven't changed any, any variables, but I I think for sure you could throw a little hair jig down there and, and still get bits. Bit. like yeah.
1: they say, if it ain't broke,
2: don't fix it. Exactly. Again. But I've just had good luck with hair jigs, but I've always put it off for February
0: 15th on to maybe March 15th, because you get, the, I've, that's a time where you can, had some really nice ones. I've had some glory days. I
1: might have to ask a, you know, a fisheries biologist about this at some point, but I'm, right now, days are getting longer. Mm-hmm. You know, It's 6.15, 6.20 in the evening, and you notice that there's still a little bit of light in the sky, whereas a month ago, 5.30, you were looking at dark, right? So I know that pretty much everything in nature relies more on that photo photo period, yeah. photo period than it does actual temperatures. I wonder if that photo period getting longer... Pretty quickly it's having is might be triggering these fish to bite too.
0: Well, you know, I've interviewed Jeff about fall fishing for a piece I did and we talked mm-hmm. about photo period a lot. Yeah. And he thinks mm-hmm. fall that the, the water temperature is not quite irrelevant, but photo period it's consistent year after year after year, no matter what the water temperature is. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, they got to know those, especially the bigger fish, They the, the bigger female fish, mm-hmm. or they I'm got. assuming most of the bigger ones you're catching are female. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming that they know, hey, right around the corner here, it's going to be time to be, you know, it's going to be spawn time. Better start stocking up, producing no some eggs. So I wouldn't be surprised if that's already started, if they're already in the mindset or getting into the mindset of needing to beef up a little bit. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah, Jerry Bynack, who's a black bass biologist for Long time he said, Yeah, they specialize talking about the float and fly and winter fishing. He's like, Oh, those big females they have to have nutrients to power that egg development in their bellies, yeah. And you kind know? of getting
2: back to and and this maybe this isn't the mindset a lot of that a lot of people have, but I think a lot of people just kind of think that or or it's easy to think or assume that when it gets this cold that you're just not going to catch it, you know. And I think that's something. And that I somebody I actually had a recent conversation where they said, Yeah, when, when I was younger, my my dad used to tell me that, you know, if there was I don't even know what the some arbitrary temperature. Let's just say or like, let's just say like, oh, if it's in the 30s then that's too cold. To f- I don't know if that, that was his excuse because he didn't want he didn't want it to. They didn't want to go fishing when it was oh, that bass, cold. But that I think a lot of people actually do believe that, you know, when it's that cold, the bass are not going to bite. But, you know, there's still we we kind of talked about torpor, but I think most most of the time our bass here in Kentucky are not going to go into that state. And they still have to eat. I mean, mm-hmm. they you know they can't just, uh, especially in a stream, because even in a current break, they're still dealing with there is still current. They are still it, having they're still burning
0: metabolism. and they're, metabolism, yeah. and they're
2: u- using energy to live every you know every every second. So, I think that you know those fish still have to uh, they're still eating, and I think that bass are always opportunistic. Mm-hmm. I think even more so in the wintertime, and that's why I think that I'm kind of being repetitive here, but if you find a wintering hole where there's there's fish in it and you drag something right in front of their face slowly, Mm -hmm. there's probably going to be one that's willing to pick it up. I think that's
1: good advice. I think that's, in a nutshell, the best way to say it is, yeah, pretty much what you said right there. You look for those right conditions. Look for deeper water. Look for current breaks. Look for, if you can tell, maybe a mixed bottom. Um, mm-hmm. And give them something slow and put it right in front of their face, where they're going to be sitting. Right. Exactly. I think that's and probably all. Good that and a lot,
0: I think a lot of biologists still feel that,
1: yeah. like that torpor is going to get them. You know, I mean.
2: Yeah, and and before last winter, I had I had no experience mm-hmm. with it. You know, I just I had never done it. And it was the just, good
0: hole was because I fished in January a lot. And I know one hole that people have caught them in, and I've caught maybe two. But at that hole, where you're right. There's probably three or four major holes in that whole lower part of oak Oh, yeah, and All I'm only I'm be. only hitting
2: one right yeah. now. I mean, I, I haven't – well, t- two. There, there's another one I go to as well. But um, I'm having the most success out of just one, and I haven't even – so far, I haven't even attend, attempted to expand on it. I think if you – Oh, wow. If you spent enough time and you had between public access and especially if you did have some private access and you could find – if you had – let's just say between three and five hole wintering holes on a stream. Mm -hmm. uh, Gosh, if you had a whole day to devote to it, there's no telling how good you could do. You you might have just one of the most epic days you've ever had on a stream uh, potentially. Um, But uh, yeah, I think that, the, the the key is to find those conditions. You know, if you're if you're in a particular, if you only have access to a part of the stream where it's nothing but running water constantly and there's no deep water, I, I really just don't. Unless there's trout in there, yeah, I don't think you're gonna do. Any I, any. I don't think you're gonna have any success. But if you can find the right conditions and you can mm-hmm. find you a, big cur- a current break, drop off, uh, a large hole where a lot of of fish can get and congregate and spend their entire winter in there, mm-hmm. then yeah, I think that you stand a great chance of catching fish out of that hole.
1: Have you see any bald eagles while you're out there fishing yet?
2: Usually, that that area, um, I do. I see, I see mature them. ones and and juveniles.
1: I, I and, see them along uh, that same stretch of. Of course, one. it's
2: easier to see them this time of year. There's no leaves on the mm-hmm. trees, there. they stand out a little bit more in less places. To when hunt. I
0: went on a photo shoot the there, I saw one that, that looked like it was just transitioning, because it wasn't so huge. I was like, hmm, wow, well, that's a. Then I saw the white head. I was like, wow, but it didn't look.
2: Yeah, a lot like of times. Monster. So so a lot of people may or may not realize that bald eagles they don't get their their bright white head, bright white tail, yellow beak. They don't take on that appearance until they're about five, but they they can take on what we call the, the a dirty white head. Almost looks like they've, yeah. they're literally dirty, like they have mud or dirt on yep. them. That's that's actually not. It's just that's what the that's what the feathers look like. That usually happens when they're four. Okay. Uh, but sometimes you have older individuals that still kind of have the, the dirty white. Um, but yeah, like people, there's no telling how many people probably when they've been out. Uh, hunting or fishing or whatever they're doing out in the outdoors, and they see a bird, and they say, "Wow, that's well, that's way too big to be a hawk. It's not a vulture, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have a white head. I, I don't know what it is. Or maybe um, assume maybe it's a golden eagle, which of course we do have golden eagles mm-hmm. in the win- only in the winter time in Kentucky, but they're still pretty rare to well, see. I grew one. up near Burnham. I saw. Oh yeah, and you can
1: see them, and I have seen Gone. them. They're but magnificent. Not
2: not a ton of them. I around. think
1: I saw one on Dale Hollow. Um, would that make sense for one to go to Dale Hollow? Potentially. Well, I mean, we were down there fishing. As it, long as it's the winter, because they're only here oh, in the it winter. Was, it was dead winter. Yeah. Uh, we, we There were bald eagles flying around, and there was this other bird that, I mean, it had the appearance of a juvenile bald eagle as far as, you know, from a distance where I could tell about its color, but it was much, it was larger than the white-headed bald eagle, so... I, I was talking to Chad about it, and we both were like, that could be a golden eagle. Could
2: be. Uh, yeah. Hard to, you know, of course, we can't know definitively, but it could be. And then yeah. the size thing, too, worth mentioning that like a lot of people, especially at Salado, we get asked, well, how do, you, how do you tell the difference between a male and a female, you know, bald eagle or red-tailed hawk or, you know, mm-hmm. what, great horned owl, whatever the case may be? And with most raptors in North America and in Kentucky, uh, males and females are colored pretty much identically. Mm-hmm. And size is the only way. And, and for that, if you have a bird by itself, well, you don't really have anything to compare it size to. But if let's say you see a pair of bald eagle sitting together on a branch and one is noticeably larger, like 25% bigger. Well, that would be the female. Yeah.
1: And the smaller would be the male. Isn't it crazy? Most times in nature, I mean, maybe not for all animals, I'm thinking of mammals most of the time the males are larger but it does seem like for a lot of species like fish like mm-hmm. like birds that a lot of times it is the female that's yeah
2: it's it's kind of an unusual mix when you really start to look at there's there's not there's no like prevailing it doesn't seem that there's any prevailing pattern on you know this group of animals it's the it's yeah. just there's lots of different but with a, with a lot of with a lot of your raptor species birds of prey the females are larger yeah because
1: mm-hmm. i'm just sitting here rolling through species in my head deer it's the male um elk it's the male bears does it does it does it matter mm-hmm. male would typically male be typically because there are some big female bears but like in white-tailed deer it's pretty well defined that a, a male and a female the male is going to be about this much larger percentage wise right but coyotes it's the same way but then we roll into fish and it's the opposite yeah. and then we get into a lot of snake we, species and it's look opposite. At your,
2: a lot of your amphibians too yeah the females, females are much
1: larger, larger. that's yeah. that is strange how it's kind of like it's very consistent per species but there, it's kind of almost no rhyme or reason amongst species mm-hmm. why do
0: you think that male birds evolved to be generally especially among waterfowl more colorful and 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 like you know the Right now, you'll see goldfinches at your feeder, and they all look the same, the males and the females. And then there's that magical day in late March and early April. Pow! The yellow ones just showed up. Well, that's the males that have...
2: I think probably... Developed their breeding okay. colors. It, 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 when we... Some waterfowl, uh, but most most noticeably with songbirds, mm-hmm. uh, where males are more colorful and and the more brightly colored ones are going to be more successful. I, I think that it's just a... A female attraction? Thing? Yes, I think it's females are are going to be attracted to a potential mate that that is displaying what what she as far as she's concerned or as as far as biology is concerned are superior genes Mm -hmm. and I think that the brighter colored the cardinal is probably he's his his genes are superior and he's going to be more successful than a more drab
1: colored uh male cardinal <laughs> i think that that's no, just kind of just like bright shiny things right? that's be <laughs> sick, yeah there's got to be a song or two about that you know? so uh, interestingly
2: we've been talking about raptors being colored identically uh we, we do have an ex- exception that that is a a uh, distinctively different coloration between male and female do you all know what it is which raptor that we have in kentucky and it's a small one and it's one that we have at salado where the male and female are colored distinctively differently Kestrel? There you go. Okay. The American kestrel, yeah. Uh, which is the smallest and most common falcon the in North America. Bird, yeah. oh, they've always been one of my favorite birds ever since I was a you kid. You've got to
1: explain that to me because I got my—I I, I was going to tell you that I've developed over the past year or so my favorite bird, and it's not the kestrel. So you'll have to tell me why you <laughs> have to make a case for the <laughs> okay, kestrel. Okay, I will.
2: What, what I will say, that so kestrels, again, they're small falcons. They're, they have an unassuming size. They're not large. They're, they're probably bigger than a robin, but not a whole lot bigger than a robin. They have a long
1: tail. Similar to like a, a blue jay size. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, a little bit. Shaped a little differently, of course, but yeah, they're not they're not a big raptor, but they are still an impressive little hunter. They're mostly eating a lot of small rodents and then sometimes small birds, and then in the summertime, they eat a whole lot of bugs, like grasshoppers, for example. Okay. Um, but males... Both are beautiful. The male and the female are beautiful. Mm -hmm. But males, uh, like songbirds, are a little more colorful. They stand out a little more because they have a beautiful bluish gray color Mm -hmm. on their wings. Now both have that blue gray color on their head, but only the males have it on their wings. And so it's kind of, if you ever are out and um, a lot of people probably see Kestrels and just don't really know what they are, but if you're out and you see a Kestrel, and you, on a power line or utility pole or, or fence post, that's where I see most kestrels. Mm-hmm. And you get it good enough to look, to look at the wing, does it have blue wings? If so, it's the male. If it has brown and black
1: wings, then it's the female. Well, that's good to know. So, so you'll have to tell me why the kestrel is such a cool bird here in a second, but owls. Yeah, I, owls I, are, I mean, I, they're I, great. Owls cool. have been the ones that have just caught me. Barred owls are especially I, cool. I, I'll, I'll just look at the, Jeff probably remembers, uh, you came over and fished the farm pond in my old house one time, right? Mm-hmm. And there was that great horned owl that was up there making noise in the tree, right? Do you remember that? Uh, yeah. Uh, and because I had chickens out and I made a comment about that owl and you told me that's a great horned owl just based on the, the sound it was making. And so I started looking into owls when my chickens started dying. I was like, well, I'm going to learn about these things. And uh, the way owls hunt is just amazing to me. With their the ruffled wing tips so they can fly completely silent and their offset ears so they can pinpoint noises without you know, and their head rotating 270 degrees, their nighttime eyesight. I mean, everything about them is pretty much packed. It's like every feature you could draw up and write down, like, oh, this would be great for a, a, a bird of prey. this is, It's like you packed all those great features into one, and you got the ultimate nocturnal predator. Yeah, it's, kind of a build-your-own predator yeah. kind of thing. I mean, it's amazing when they're, how they're built, and that, the way their ears are offset. It's probably the most amazing part of it to me.
2: Yeah, owls are, are amazing creatures. In Kentucky, we have Four species of owl that are always here year-round, they don't migrate, they don't ever leave, uh, that you can see. Those would be the Eastern screech owl, the barn owl, the barred owl and then the great horned owl. That's going small to big. Oh, We have a. I, I love screech owls. Yeah, screech owls. You know, they're and I, Elkhorn Creek in the summertime. I'll, often at dusk, I can't oh, tell oh, the number of screech owls. I've I, heard a million. Out yeah, there. The, you, you may not always see that, them. Usually, that's they you come know. Come I better out. get home because I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah, that's how you know it's. <laughs> the okay. screech owls are like I'm past my yeah dark. Day it's kind of like the uh, the, <laughs> the alarm clock for it's going to be dark here in a minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, ow- owls are amazing, and a lot of people are very fascinated by owls. I think it's because you don't get to see them very often. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, owls are mostly nocturnal. You're mm-hmm. way more likely to hear an owl than you are to see the owl. If you do get to see one, that's great. And, and on really cloudy days, oftentimes, owls will spend a little more time out in the open, especially barred owls. I've, I've seen a lot of barred owls um, fishing over the years. A lot, you'd be especially in the boat at a lake where you've got a really... Um, heavily wooded area and, mm-hmm. and you're probably not going to hear it but you just look up and we yeah, saw you got one, one you Floyd's one right fork there, right there right at in the front uh, of
1: you. Cane Run
0: Primitive Access. We well, like to wait. there were two there one day when we were floating. The well, majority, we got some pictures of
1: them. The majority of the owls I see are going to be um, while I'm deer hunting and I hunt on mm-hmm. creeks and the woods quite often. So and when I'm just sitting there in my deer stand you know right before dark and I never hear them coming but all of a sudden I'll just see something appear in the tree over there and I look over there always a big beautiful owl and i'm you
2: right. know but, and and again lending to kind of how they're they're mysterious well they, they kind of move in a mystery because of the, the, the adaptations yeah. allow them to fly almost silently well that's unusual there's not a whole lot of the, a lot a whole lot of birds especially that are going to be able to to just kind of sneak up on that you that big like that yeah. especially yeah, being no. that big and and i think that that again that makes them kind of mysterious and intriguing and and working at a wildlife center uh, where we do have some owls people just absolutely love it I mean look at how popular they are I mean they're yeah. they're in children's stories and movies and tootsie roll pop commercial <laughs> yeah yeah and, 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 and in literature and I mean they're you know they're everywhere I think we've always been fascinated by owls yeah but I hope I don't disappoint anybody to say that in, in terms of how they compare to Falcons like kestrels and Hawks and eagles they're, they're at the bottom of my list no I, I respect them they're, they're <laughs> like we've for all the reasons we just talked about they are amazing predators they're good at what they do and don't get me wrong i don't i don't dislike them i i enjoy hearing them and seeing them but it just they just they're they're toward the bottom of my list
1: well tell me why you gotta you gotta make the case for the for the other and
2: i've always described it this way because i feel like i've never had a great answer because people often ask me they say well you 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 love birds they're your favorite animal and you get to work with birds well what's your favorite bird i'll say there's no way out of, what, mm-hmm. over 200 species that we have that you can see in Kentucky, it's so hard for me to narrow down to just one species. But two species that I've always loved my entire life have been American kestrels and red-tailed hawks. I like the red-tailed hawks. I, I think that surprises people red-tailed because, I, again, out of all the, out of 200 and something things that you could list, you listed a red-tailed hawk, which you can see anywhere and in many places in Kentucky, you can see a kestrel almost. And I say, and I think that's why. Because no. you can see them. Mm-hmm. Because I've always gotten to, I've been able to see them my entire life. I describe red tails to visitors. They're the ultimate highway bird. Just mm-hmm. pay attention. Yeah. Whether yeah. you're oh, driving or you'll see them everywhere. In the winter time's a great time to see them too, because they the stand day. out. They're easier. They're easier to spot. They're easier to see because if they're in a tree um that has no leaves on it well you can yeah. you can see them a little and, easier so oh and, you can
1: see a ton of them right yesterday driving just through this stretch of frankfurt i saw three and one I, of them was
2: huge i've
0: seen them I yeah seems like shelbyville like that part of 64 seems to be a magnet yeah, if for you them. get I, I if you get the right habitat
2: lot. which uh, kestrels and Redtails share the same exact habitat because to a large extent they eat the same thing obviously red tails are eating larger mammals too but they're both eating a lot of rodents um elkhorn creek uh, you go out to peaks mill if you pay attention you can see bald eagle, you can see tons of kestrels, you can see tons of red tails. And another species too, red-shouldered hawks too. But If I had to narrow down to what are two of my favorite species and what have been my entire life, it would be the American kestrel and the red-tailed hawk. I think it's part of the reason is because if you pay attention, you you can see them. If I have a favorite of something, I want it to be something that I can actually experience yeah, and sense. not something that I never get to see.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And One of my buddies has a trail camera set up near a creek in Shelby County and it, he he has a corn pile out there in front of it of course that corn pile attracts raccoons and mice and rodents of all kinds and i guess he had a, he has a resident redtail living out there on that farm somewhere and every day right around you know first light in the morning he'd get a picture of that redtail it, it got something that corn pile is feeding that redtail too but oh, yeah. Yeah. No, yeah yeah he's
2: he's, but, he's smart to hang out there
1: the other day he had a, a bald eagle that looked like it might have gotten a small raccoon on it, on his uh, trail camera And so he was, you know, talking to me and it was in a group text. There's a a couple of us and they were talking about, man, I just see so many more eagles now than I used to. And that that was kind of something I was hoping to talk to Jeff about, too, is about the eagle numbers, because they have just boomed over, what, the last decade or two decades? Our first shoot
0: together, I think your very first shoot for Kentucky Field was on Floyd's Fork. remember at the end of the day,
1: right there by Fern Creek bald eagle yeah flew right over fully toward yeah they're not an uncommon occurrence to see mm,
2: not no. not anymore still exciting mm-hmm. uh for me who i thankfully i've been fortunate through my personal life and being in the outdoors all the time and then for my job what i do um I, at this point i, I mean I've seen hundreds of bald eagles in the wild in Kentucky, yeah. but I don't take that for granted. I still enjoy seeing, every time I see one, I get a, you know, I get that kind of rush almost like, oh,
0: look, you yeah, know, no, yeah.
2: it's, a, it's bald eagle. That day and, surprised me being that close to like, I mean,
0: we were in a metropolitan area and there comes a big yeah i think chase spotted it's uh, like uh, look there's an eagle i was like there's uh, an eagle and it flew. i was like oh my no, god well, it, well, it is
1: <laughs> the coolest baldy because i don't know if one stands out in your mind it's like man that was a really cool time i saw a bald eagle
2: i remember the first one i ever saw in the wild in kentucky well, i remember it and i was on the i was doing a overnight float with one of my best friends wow. uh mark we were on the green river yeah between the same the, my favorite float on the green river between mm-hmm. munfordville and mammoth cave mm-hmm. and it flew just right i mean just right right over us and we we both it was and this was in probably two thousand and two thousand and four, 2004 probably mm-hmm. um which gosh it's so long ago at this point but ago. and we both i mean we both got such a good look at, we didn't say it we just kind of looked at each other like
0: did that, that just was, happen, yeah right? it
2: was it was yeah. one of those like did that really just happen yeah. moment and and it, that was as far as i as far as i can remember that was the first one that i ever saw in the wild in kentucky and now you know fast forward to where we are now now i've seen Hundreds. If you wanted to,
1: you could probably go see one today. You could probably I know exactly oh, yeah. you could no, di- no
2: different, and I, and I that's why I enjoy birding too as much as I enjoy fishing because it's so similar in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. If you understand whatever it is you're you're after, mm-hmm. whether the species of fish you're trying to catch or the bird that you're trying, uh, you you have to get to know it. You have to understand it. You have to understand what it needs, uh, the resources it needs, the habitat it needs. I mean, when we talk about where's the fish gonna be, well, we're talking about habitat. It may may be habitat we can't really see, Mm -hmm. we can imagine what it looks like. Birding is very similar in that you have to understand what is going to motivate a particular species to be in a, in a particular area mm-hmm. that you have access to. So there's a lot of parallels. Uh, I've it's always thought between too. fishing and birding, hunting. but yeah, it, mm-hmm. and oh well, yeah, and hunting too. It's something I don't do much, but it's yeah, it's the same thing. So you yeah. have to understand whatever it is, understand the species, uh, if you want to be successful at. Acquiring it, however, whatever that may be, whether it's whether it's a consumptive way or a passive way or whatever the case may be, but yeah, today, if we if if we wanted to leave right now, I know exactly where we'd go, and I would I I, I would almost bet a paycheck that we'd see a bald eagle. Yeah. Um, and that's the great thing, and that's what I tell people all the time. So uh, obviously, we have a non-releasable eagle at Salado. You can always see him when you visit, but but I like to tell people that. There's never been a better time to see a bald eagle in Kentucky than right now. Right now, yeah. We have never had as many, uh, you know, as far as since we've been keeping track, we have more now in Kentucky. And throughout Kentucky, you see, it used to be, say, 20 years ago, if you wanted to see a bald eagle, I would say, you're going to have to go to western Kentucky. Mm -hmm. You're almost going to have to go to Lamb Twin Lakes area to see one. Uh, and that's where the greatest habitat, they have, but if you, if you really wanted to kind of capitalize on where most of them were going to be, the greatest density, it would have been, okay, you're going to need to go to Western Kentucky. That's where the greatest habitat is. Obviously bald eagles mostly eat fish. They do eat other things too, but they mostly eat fish. Mm -hmm. And so they are going to need access to hopefully open water, uh, year round. Western Kentucky obviously has a lot of that great eagle habitat, but slowly, but surely, Over the years, the the population has expanded into the central part, where we are, central Kentucky, and and most recently, I'd say over the last 10 years, on into eastern Kentucky too. So it's not just a, yes, you can see them, but you have to travel Mm -hmm. all the way down to western Kentucky. That's not the case anymore. If you've got a sizable body of water near you, you could, maybe not necessarily nesting, but at any point in the year, you could be able to spot a bald eagle at that body well, of water.
1: It, you were saying that 10 years ago or however long it was, ago it was, you would send people to Western Kentucky, right? Right now, you could go to Lake Shelby, Guest Creek. You can go to Taylorsville. You can go to the Salt River. You can go to Elkhorn Creek, the Kentucky River. You can probably go to Benji Kimmon. Mm-hmm. You can go mm-hmm. pretty much anybody. Well, there was a nest on Benji Kimmon. <laughs> there was. Yeah, that's it, what it, I thought. The snag finally broke and then they relocated. But yeah, they're they're. Oh, they're is still, that what
2: happened? We always it, wonder what it, happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and that's. Bald eagles kind of have the, the reputation of building in, in a tree that almost makes you go, why did you choose that tree to build mm. your nest in that you know they add to their nest every single year, their nests get quite large and quite heavy. But usually that's what happens is they'll add to it and then sooner or later a storm will either blow it out or the, or the tree will literally break under the weight. And at that point they just start Have over you the- seen
0: them nest on power lines? Much. Or do, not you know, the,
2: much. the structure that holds a you know, the superstructure. Um I believe and I could be wrong about this, but I believe in Kentucky we've only ever had one that did that. Most more often than not, that's Osprey do that a lot. Mm-hmm. But bald eagles are almost always going to be in a tree.
0: There was one on South Elkhorn near Midway for years and it just a huge nest. But they thought it might have been a broad shouldered. Would that be possible? Uh, or do
2: you think... A red-shouldered? Sh- red yeah, red-shouldered, yeah. I, possibly. A red-tail, a red-tail hawk would have a bigger nest than a mm-hmm. red-shouldered would, but it's possible. It could possible be been just a red-tail, but it was... Red-tail uh, nests are, are pretty big, too. Okay. You know, red-tails are a good-sized bird, so... Especially Well, symbol. the people on is like, that's a
0: broad-shouldered hawk, and I never saw it, and I
2: was like, well... That's kind of yeah, like... Yeah, uh, uh, hard, hard to say, but red-tails make a pretty But then, then it disappeared, and yeah. it just went poof. <laughs> Must have blown out in a storm or something like that, that, and then they probably relocated somewhere else where they just weren't as visible. But but uh, yeah, the, that's the, the exciting thing, and the good news is that we have them. Um, to me, the bald eagle is one of the greatest conservation success stories oh, in North America to look at a, a species that literally went from the brink of extinction. Uh, and it's a great example of how people can, can pay attention. And be observant and see that there's a problem and kind of come together to figure out what is the problem and how can we fix this Mm -hmm. issue Uh, without going into all the details. But most people are probably familiar that bald eagles declined primarily due to the use of the pesticide DDT, which caused Mm -hmm. eggshell thinning. It didn't kill the eagles outright, but they couldn't, they couldn't reproduce. We had no bald eagle productivity, no babies being born in, in Kentucky from the mid 1960s mm-hmm. all the way to 1987. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's, 20, that's a long period of time to not have a species reproducing at all. And probably if it wasn't such a long lived species in the wild, because bald eagles can, can in the wild survive 25 plus years, I think if it weren't for that, they probably would have gone extinct. Thankfully, there were enough of them that were able to kind of weather the storm. And then, uh, you know, DDT is outlawed in North America starting in 1972. And at that point, we kind of we kind of bounce back and and identify how else can we help eagles give them better protection? Because part of the part of the reason they declined, too, was due to illegal killing and poaching. It's it's hard for us to sit here and and like to pass that. But that that was part of it. It was mostly DDT, but there were other things as well. So provide them better protection uh, protect the habitat. Uh, again, understand the animal. What habitat do they need? What resources do they need provide better protection for that, too? Yeah. And thankfully, they bounced back in a huge way, literally gone from the brink of extinction to now we're sitting here saying uh, there's never been a better time to spot one in the wild than right now. So yeah.
1: it's it's, right. it's, a, it's an exciting, uh, uplifting story. Somewhat opposite of the passenger pigeon lay. Oh, God, Well, thankfully.
0: We should do something on that one. Yeah. Just... yeah. I've, I've held a specimen of a passenger pigeon at the cincinnati natural museum of history and it's just and it was collected i want to say 1883 in the avondale neighborhood of cincinnati and it's like at that time there were billions of these well and that's there's no i think
2: yeah it's It's just so it's hard hard for the brain exactly it is so hard for for me to comprehend how it just extinction in and of itself is such a it's such a strange concept almost to think that really like that really can happen mm-hmm. and it does and it, and it continues to throughout the world but thank you know um we've had you know stories like that, that that don't have a great outcome but thankfully we also have stories like that of the bald eagle that do have a great outcome it
0: did fire people up to pass better laws mm-hmm. that's why we have you know the deer we take for granted and a lot of it's because of the pain caused by the past
1: i, I think vision. extinction makes a lot of sense to me like i understand extinction mm-hmm. and how it's possible the mind-numbing part to me is how it can happen so quickly without natural causes. You know, mm-hmm. how people can cause oh, it. Oh, it was, yeah. You know, because that, extinction extinction's supposed to happen. It, it's going to happen. But, you know, the fact that we can make something go extinct is kind of the troublesome part
0: they found a flock in southern ohio in 1898 of like they estimated a half a million that probably could have saved the species hunters went in and shot them it's
1: like just, it's just, yeah, you used to see tons now you see nothing and it's, that's pre-conservation yeah i mean that's that that's pre-law.
2: well and, and again that illustrates the that illustrates the, the act and all those so
1: well really it was the passenger pigeon that spurred modern conservation um, as far as we have to have season dates, bag limits, we have to have right. rules and laws. We can't just go shoot everything. And then after setting up conservation via the passenger pigeon, you're talking about how we use it to save the, the bald eagle mm-hmm. and DDT. I mean, that wasn't necessarily something that was hunters' faults. It wasn't necessarily people who were and no the
2: lead ban
0: for waterfowl.
2: I mean,
1: lead safe waterfowl. Thing. I, I think it's
2: worth band. mentioning mm-hmm. too that you know DDT was that was that was synthesized for for good think about all the folks that it saved from malaria yeah, for example yeah. the 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 gentleman that synthesized that won a nobel prize for ddt people don't know that they don't because for most people they think ddt they think oh awful bad it almost get, well yes um it's it's over usage in the united states in north america almost did cause the bald eagle and the peregrine falcon to become extinct but it it you know we didn't know or the people using it didn't know at the time the kind of ecological impact it would have which again further illustrates why it's so important to have um folks uh, and agencies and 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 you know regulations and guidelines in place to monitor these types of things so that we don't ever or hopefully don't ever run into a situation like that again
1: no i completely agree that's a good way to put it.
2: i think i
0: had when i was cleaning out my granddad's basement after he died i found some ddt that he had a, it, an I'm an
1: attorney in, Yeah, I tossed it.
2: I have an empty can of it yeah, in I... my office at Salado, and sometimes I, you know, if I'm, if I'm telling the story of the bald eagle, I'll in the, use it. Do you know the old town sprayer that had the bottom? Yeah, and... I, I know what you're talking about, and I think I've seen photographs of it being used that way. Th- this is just a aluminum, mm-hmm. tall it's... aluminum can, canister, basically. But I think I've seen what you're talking. I think about. it was. That's what I found a grand. At.
0: Yeah, well, that makes and sense. And then he had a couple of like where you, for, put you know, it for in for
2: fillet. personal use anyway. Yeah, for, for the average person buying it, and that's I, I think I think that's how they would apply it.
1: Jeff, what's your favorite thing to do back at Slater? Well, for somebody that's
2: a bird nerd like me, getting to work hands on with your favorite animal mm-hmm. literally every day. To me, that's there's not a whole lot of people that that can say that they get to are do. You that. talking
1: about doing enrichments or demonstrations? Or? Well,
2: you know, all through the winter time too, a lot of people are kind of. They don't understand what we do during the wintertime when we're not open to the public that's, We don't have visitors that's, coming in so
1: we're gonna do I was telling Jeff earlier We're gonna film a segment with the uh, animal care and behind the scenes at Slado Yeah, uh, because it's a 365 day. a year Absolutely, job,
2: and, and we're still busy we're, uh, in some ways just as busy. It's just a different kind of busy yeah. uh, so in terms of the we have a handful of non-releasable birds of prey um, that I am I'm the, the, the primary Trainer and provide all their, their husbandry and the care and, and all that sort of thing enrichments and and yeah that that's a that's never ending you know that's not something that mm-hmm. you that you only do when you're open to the public and then you just don't train the birds through the winter time that that really wouldn't work it's yeah. not that they would forget but you you can't expect um, an animal or you can't expect to take two or three months off from doing something and then just be able to pick it right back up mm-hmm. um, and and be fresh with it so we still even if it's for um an empty room we're still flying birds the same way that we will be flying them uh, or in the aviary mostly these days at the outdoor aviary even though there's nobody watching um we're still putting those birds through the paces and keeping them up on their training and we're still we're still doing all that through the winter time it's important that we do uh, again so that they can kind of can stay brushed up on that training
1: so just like uh just like your basketball players in the off season still getting in the gym and taking jump shots mm-hmm. exactly that's what you guys yeah. remember and, there. And, <laughs> and, and, and no
2: different than you wouldn't forget how to take a jump shot just like the bird isn't mm. going to forget that behavior but if you if you want to um, if you want the bird to kind of get back into its routine once we do reopen a little quicker well it's it's probably a good idea that we that we keep um, keep them fresh on that uh, training all through the winter time and it's good exercise for them too
1: do you have any uh, Allen Iverson birds back there that don't like they practice? They don't like practice and they don't like talking about <laughs> yeah, practice?
2: Yeah. No, actually for the most part our, our birds that are that are particularly food motivated and that the two that stand out there would be our red our tail hawk and our female kestrel. Uh, no, they're usually very... Um, excited and um, yeah.
1: very eager to participate in their That's trainings. Right. So Salado's opening back up, I think you told me March 8th, right?
2: Tuesday, March 8th is when we will reopen. And uh, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to that. Um, again, the off season is, is important for us. It allows us to get a lot of important things done that we just don't have the time to do when, when we're open to the public. But this gives us time to plan for the, for the following year. Yeah. Again, to continue to care for the animals, which is always our top priority. Um, to, you know, fix things that got broken and do maintenance and, mm-hmm. and repair things and just in, in a lot of different ways, uh, get ready for the next season. So we're looking
1: forward to Are it. there any new exhibits or anything coming up this year? We won't have anything, um,
2: nothing that would stand out. Uh, but that's okay, because even even when we don't expand, we still have a lot. And if there's folks listening that have never been to Slater and they don't really know what it is. We're basically a zoo and all we have are native wildlife. So only animals that you can find in the wild in Kentucky, which I love. I love focusing on that. Um, Inside our visitor center, we have smaller exhibits like snakes, frogs, turtles, and fish. Mm -hmm. And then outside we have much larger enclosures and uh, larger animals too. We've got, we have a bald eagle. We've got a black bear. We've got bobcats,
1: elk, bison, deer, turkey, and quails. We have a lot of depends on some of my favorite exhibit like even inside you just mentioned the animals one of the coolest exhibits to me on the inside is the is the the raptors or the, the birds along mm-hmm. the ceiling where yeah, you yeah can, the taxidermic ones yeah the, you, i mean you basically have um models of each species up on the ceiling and it's almost like a uh, a game because you have a key on the wall mm-hmm. and so you can look up there and you can try to guess which bird that is and then you can go to the key right there and see if you're right or you can learn birds that way
2: yeah. And like, I, so the, the static um, and, and the displays that you, you, there's obviously a lot to learn. We have a whole exhibit about restoration. We, we've kind of, we kind of touched on restoration, sort of a little bit of conservation. You can learn all about the species that we have had to restore uh, in, in Kentucky. And, uh, and then of course the live animals too, snakes, frogs, turtles, fish, those can be, well, really, any of the live animal exhibits, can. It, you can have a different experience every single time you come because they're live animals and they behave differently. And one thing that, uh, that, that we're always excited to do is, is to put on scheduled public programs. Mm-hmm. That is a, let's say, a raptor encounter where I'm going to have one of those birds of prey out where you're going to get a very up-close look at it and learn all about that bird. Or maybe we'll do a public training where you get to watch our animal care staff Uh, literally training the black bear, training a 650 pound black bear and learn about, well, what are those things we're training him to do? How do we train and why do we train? Well, those are things that you can learn if you come to a public training. Public enrichments. uh, Enrichments are things that we provide our animals to change up their everyday routine. prevent them from becoming bored, basically. And of course, an easy definition of enrich means to make something better. Well, mm. we're, what we're trying to do is enrich their everyday life, uh, give them something stimulating, uh, get them to use their brain. And we, we offer those frequently for the black bear and then the bobcats as well. So these are just uh, just a couple examples of scheduled public programs that people can uh, attend during their visit once we reopen
1: i think that's a you know a good idea and I, that is interesting i would like to see you all put bird seed in the bird feeder in the bobcat bin someday it usually mm. does <laughs> i know it usually does have birdseed. in it yeah, i just like watching those bobcats play
0: Blue the original backed up and peed on my sister-in-law one time well <laughs> i wanted to pay him twenty dollars <laughs> <laughs>
2: just kidding yeah, Sandy, if you're listening. You, you, gotta watch, you gotta watch you gotta watch cats, yeah. cats will mark the territory sometime oh. and, and yeah that, it,
1: I, I could see that happening you can give me the 20 bucks Lee. i'll make sure he gets it <laughs> you no know, no but that'd be good that will be good And even honestly if it's been a year or two since you, somebody's been to salado things have changed like i mean i went back there last time and i work 150 yards from the building and you guys had gotten rid of the indoor trout exhibit and replaced it with something else, and that was that was recent. Yeah,
2: so our, our eastern hellbenders got you know, got a new okay. enclosure. We expanded because they grew. They haven't been grew, back in a they while. They grew quickly, yeah. and they out, quickly outgrew the old aquarium that they were in. So we needed a larger cold water setup for them. And yeah, and so that that's where they are now. And like you said, that's been yeah, a recent that, development within new. the last year and a half two it's, years I guess by the time recent. we reopen it's been recent so that that could very easily be something that a lot of visitors
1: haven't seen and oh, well, uh, I know it's been recent recent because we started when COVID first took hold that's when we started doing our live calling shows from Salado mm-hmm. and the uh, sound of the trout tank was a big issue for us for probably the first year I, I'm wanting to say we only did I one did or a two. video
0: back there and it was you yeah, could hear loud, it loud
1: loud but I think the the new setup's much quieter um, with the hellbender tank than it was with the trout so yeah. that's nice. But let's see, I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to run through. The only other thing I had jotted down on my list is that camp registration is now open. Mm. If anybody wants to go to uh send their kids. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how many kids we have listening to, to the podcast, but if somebody wanted to send their kids to conservation camp, I think we'd all agree that it's a good idea. I know Lee and myself both attended and no, Jeff. You, you attended and worked.
2: I did, yeah. Uh, yeah. So as someone who went to Camp Curry as a I call it a song and,
0: fifth, camp curry. Fifth, oh, On a cane that's,
2: that's pretty good. We On were still middle. using cane when I went. As someone who went there as a camper, and I literally said this, in that moment, I said, I want to come back here and work one day. Uh-huh. And I did. And I worked there for four straight summers while I was finishing up college and grad school. Uh, and I had taken a year off in there. And, you know, the tagline is a week that lasts a lifetime. Mm-hmm. That's not just a good sounding thing that we came up with. I mean, that is, to me, that is absolutely the best way to describe
1: uh, attending one of the summer camps. Well, not just that, but yeah, you know, like I said, we we all went to the camps. You worked at the camp. Jameson, who's right there in the bay next to us, he worked at the camp. I get a lot of people that reach out to me. Hey, my son or daughter is interested in working for the department one day. Can you give them advice for how they can get their foot in the door? Foot in the door is working at those camps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you foot know. in the
2: door is definitely working at a camp. Um, Summer aid so, yeah, or or if you're if you're not able to do that, um, try to get if you're still finishing up school, try to do an internship um, somewhere within the agency. So Leo, um,
0: don't you all have some?
2: We, we've we had to put our volunteer and internship program on hold due to COVID. Okay. Um, you, and if you're interested, please do you'll bear with us and check back. We hope to resume that potentially this coming year. Mm-hmm. But as we know, things change. Uh, and uh, so if you if you're interested in that, You can always uh, send us an email or check our website where we we try to keep things uh, as up-to-date as we can on there. But typically, yes, we we do have a a volunteer and an internship program where people can can earn college credit to come uh, help us do what we do at Salado. Um, and, uh, And I actually volunteered at Salado during one of those open summers right before I worked my first summer at Camp Curry. So in a way, I did... I did all the things that I encourage people to do. I'm encouraging you to do what I did, and that is volunteer, work for the department for free while you can afford to, which I could at the time, mm-hmm. and then do a an interim position, a, a seasonal position, whether it's at a camp or if, if you have another opportunity to do that. And uh, that that is absolutely how
1: you get your foot in the door. And I and when we say foot in the door, you know, that's a little bit misleading. It's not like you got to a head start towards getting a job because the person who's going to get hired for a job is going to be the best person for the job. But that's a way to set yourself up to be the best person for the job.
2: Relevant mm-hmm. experience is what yeah. I always tell Relevant people. Relevant experience.
1: Because it, it, you get to know if it's something that you would actually like it, to do or not. Exactly.
2: Yeah. It, you are able to be sort of in the role or a similar role and you can see for yourself, is this what I thought it was? If not, okay, is this something I want to do or not? You can... You can at least help yourself make those decisions a little sooner than not having any idea of what it's really going to be like. You go to, the, you go to the school for it. You do get hired for it. It's nothing like what you thought it was going to be and you don't enjoy it.
1: Um, I can always tell people one of my yeah. favorite things about working for the department is working with like-minded people as far as like interest and hobbies and like you guys coming in here to do this podcast. It's not like it, you know, it wouldn't really work. You know, we didn't really have to work for it because we all can just sit down and have a conversation. And uh, it's nice being around people every day that you can just sit down and have honest conversations about thing that, things that interest you, you know. And so that's kind of one of the main. And so that kind of gets you going into the, down that path. Do, do you like that? type of culture. Do you like the things that take place at the department? So uh, Mm -hmm. it's a good way to get your feet wet. And
2: in this day and age, let's face it, pretty much everybody goes to college. I I think that you're going to need something on your resume that sets you apart. How do you get from this gigantic stack to the smaller stack? Well, if you have that relevant, Mm -hmm. hands-on, applicable experience, you're putting yourself in better position to get to the small stack. To yeah. get to the small stack. Yeah. I mean, you know, nothing is, yeah, we don't want to be misleading. I mean, nothing is, nothing is ever for certain or for sure. But yeah, do you want to be in the big stack or you want to be in the small stack? Yeah. But
0: that being said, if you spend your four years of college in the dorm room or going uh, camping every weekend and, you know, versus someone who's did like you, volunteered, summer aid, worked at camp, I mean, who are you going to hire? That's a no brainer. The person who went fishing every weekend goes off to the side, and the person who showed gumption goes
2: to the front. And you can still do some pretty good fishing at these camps. Yeah, by the way. Can. By the way. <laughs> so if you're going to go work Camp at Camp Curry, I know. Uh, you, I've you done it there take since, your since I've re- been an employee. Yeah, take your rod and reel with you if you end up working at one of these. Mm-hmm. Now, it's it, I think that it, it, it's, a, it's a fun, again... We, we've talked about how it could be potentially beneficial for you. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I mean, it's, it's a fun job. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, a fun and a rewarding job mm-hmm. because for a lot of those children, and this is the way that I've always felt about my job at Salado, for, some of, for our visitors at Salado and for some of those camp attendees, that is their only chance to learn about Kentucky's wildlife. That, yep. is their, that may be their only opportunity out of that entire year yep. to go fishing, or to shoot a shotgun or to learn, that may be it for them. So I think that it's easy if you grew up with that kind of lifestyle to take it for granted and say, oh, I did this kind of stuff all the time. Well, they're not you. Not everybody has the same access. So I think I, I, I don't, I try to never take that part of what I do every day for granted that when the people come to Salado, this may be our only chance to really, especially on a field trip, let's say, this may be our only chance to really, Get them to learn something cool that they didn't know about Kentucky wildlife, or this may be their only chance to, to to go to a zoo like this and learn about animals that they can find in their very own backyard, or their you know their closest patch of woods or their closest body of water. And I think that's again that's the same way with the camps. That may be it for them that, that they have a week and a lot can happen in that week, and to be a part of that, to me, I always found that personally a really rewarding part of the job when I was a counselor.
1: No, I agree. I agree. What do you guys say we call it a day? We've actually gone a little bit long today, but that's okay. Imagine that. I can't imagine.
2: I tried to transition from fishing, or I think we could have just stuck on
1: fishing the whole time. We'll have to get you back in here, Jeff, to talk about a little bit more, because they're, I mean, as right now we're in the dead of winter, there's not a whole lot going on with the reptiles, but here in a few months, you know, April, snake month's going to be right on oh, top yeah. of us or yeah. april or may which one do they call snake month
2: well in in a lot of years it's april
1: okay april but you know the,
2: so we'll have to get the calendars kind of gets has gotten kind of weird on some stuff here over the last few years but usually it's april
1: we'll get you back in here to talk about some of that stuff coming up sometime soon i might go try to give fishing a shot it's, it's hard right now i'm also getting drawn towards predator hunting well little... you know and, and jeff caught it, it? if you watch that trend it was like sh-
0: Jeff caught it at the very peak of the trend and then that's when that super cold hit. Hey, you know what today? Today it's
2: 46.
1: Live, yeah, I know. Today, today uh, it may do, you, do it again.
2: Do you know what I'm doing when I leave work? Uh,
1: I know what you should be doing based on I our conversation. I think
2: I'm going to go uh, catch
1: yeah. a couple fish. If it's getting up to 46 today, that water temperature is going to spike and mm-hmm. I, I would I would bet your paycheck on you catching fish. Yep. Since you were talking about betting paychecks. All, all right, right. Well, and I, the
0: water I, the water flow is almost identical yeah, to what, it
2: shouldn't be any different. So I, I'm going to give it a try just the way that people out there if they've now if you have no interest in it well then by all means you know but if you've ever been curious like i was yeah. i wonder if i could go out and catch fish this january and this february locally without having to take a trip out of state give it a try
1: you might yeah. just be surprised and you know people can do it if they go to dale or cumberland yeah. or something but right. stream fishing is a little bit different that's that, where that's where, that's where the the experience is to me so yeah. all right guys thanks for coming down i appreciate it you bet cool.